from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. You just heard from Muddy Waters in that fast break. We will be there this Thursday, today, March 1st, and every Thursday at 7 p.m., playing game CNY game show night with you. It's something that you've never had in Central New York before, and it's something special, something different. It's a new night out for you, and you got to take some part in this thing. So make sure you come out, as so many have, to play in CNY game show night where Pictionary meets Family Feud, and I'm your host. Very much appreciate it. Love the opportunity. I want to thank Justin Turner for helping me out as well and hosting for some of those weeks. He's done a phenomenal job. So CNY Game Show Night, something unlike anything else in Central New York, and you can play that every Thursday at 7 p.m. on location at Muddy Waters with happy hour that's all night long and an all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet. So triple threat Thursday nights, 7 p.m. at Muddy Waters, 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville. CNY game show night, all you can eat, barbecue buffet, and an all night happy hour. So we'll see you there tonight, and we'll see you there every Thursday. At this point in the morning menu, I'm proud to be joined by Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman, is here with me. He was here with me last Thursday. We had a phenomenal time. Brought him back this Thursday to have some more conversations about. What else is going on in the sports world? So we're going to talk some college basketball, collegiate athletics in general, and then we're going to bounce to the NFL and maybe do some other things here in the conversation. So with that being said, Eric Crooms back on the broadcast with his favorite sidekick. So Eric, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you today, Dan? Doing well. And for everybody that didn't get to hear last week, let everybody know who the sidekick is on that side for you who's hanging out with you right now. Oh, my daughter Jada, she turned eight months two two days ago, so she's ready and juiced up this morning. Give you her input. All right, awesome. I want to know what she thinks about Johnny Manziel. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get things started with uh, collegiate athletics. The NCAA probe uh, has been going on. More than twenty teams were named in the case uh, uh, with with this NCAA money and ASM sports and who's getting paid by what and Adidas's involvement and whatnot. Essentially, players getting paid when they're not supposed to be paid and getting bribed to go to certain colleges and, and you know, to an unfair advantage in recruiting, so to speak. So with that being said, I want to take a look at, and I had mentioned this yesterday, but I want to, for everybody listening in today, the teams that were named include Alabama, Duke, Clemson, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisville, LSU, Maryland, Michigan State, NC State, North Carolina, South Carolina, Seton Hall, Texas, USC, Utah, Wichita State, Washington, Xavier, Virginia, Vanderbilt, and so on and so forth. And if I missed anybody, I think Iowa State, I didn't mention, I told you, oh, Notre Dame as well. So with all of that being said, more than 20 teams implicated in this FBI probe of NCAA college basketball. What are your thoughts on what's going on with the NCAA and college basketball right now? Uh, I think it's a travesty, honestly. Uh, I'm really not a big fan of how the NCAA goes about business, but 
I think this has been going on for years. It's not nothing new. It just came to the light now from a big FBI investigation. There's been a lot of teams getting sanctioned throughout the years and getting penalized with little stuff. But I just think it's terrible how the NCAA goes about things, especially supposedly as a nonprofit organization when they make millions of dollars every year. So I just think it's been going on for years, but... And, and that's the thing is when we look at the NCAA and, and what's going on, I mean, I've I've been a proponent of saying that the NCAA should be investigated themselves. That they're you know, the NCAA is a ruling body over all of these college institutions and athletic programs, but I believe that the NCAA should have somebody checking on them just to make sure as well. So, you know, with that being said, I mean we look at this they say that the NCAA receives most of their annual revenue from two sources, and that money is distributed in more than a dozen ways. They get $821.4 million from the Division One Men's Basketball Championship television and marketing rights. Then they have $129.4 million from championships ticket sales. And then we look at the distribution, uh, sports sponsorship and scholarship funds, $210.8 million. This is what the NCAA claims on their website. $160.5 million to Division I Basketball Performance Fund, whatever that means. The It's used to fund NCAA sports and provide scholarships for athletes. $96.7 million on Division I championships. Division I Equal Conference Fund, 50.3. Student Athlete Services, 71.8 million. Student Assistance Fund, 82.2. Academic Enhancement Fund, 46.7. I just read three that sounded exactly the same. $42.3 million to Division II allocation. Membership Support Services, 39.6%. $3.3 million to, or 39.6 million, I meant. $3.3 million to educational programs, including the Women's Coaches Academy. $9.5 million to Division I conference grants. $28.2 million to Division Three allocation. $74.3 million to other associate-wide expenses for legal services, business insurance, and communications. And $39.7 million to general and administrative expenses. So that's over $100 million that I don't understand what the heck those definitions were. So this is what the NCAA says they spend their money on from the money that they make from the billions of dollars that they bring in. Going off of that and reading through that, this is on NCAA.org. Anybody can see it. It's called Where Does the Money Go? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on what I just read off? I mean, I, I, I legitimately feel like I, I read off three or four or five that sounded exactly the same. There's the other expenses and legal fees. There's the, you know, monetary, you know, doing this and, and upkeep and, and whatnot. I, I mean, it, it's it sounds vague, and I think it's maybe meant to sound vague, but I mean, one of them... General administrative expenses, funds for the day-to-day operations of the NCAA national office, including administrative and financial services, information technology, and facilities management. So I guess $39.7 million is spent on meetings, phone calls, and uh, buying orders from Staples. Maybe they need paper and stuff. I don't know. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on, I just read this all off here on live radio. What do you think about it? I think it's a joke, honestly, Dan. I think they just put a lot of names on stuff that they can't account for. If they're making all this money, how do you even have to pay to get clear? Like, when I was going to college, you have to pay for clearinghouse. But this is a nonprofit organization. If you have all these funds allocated to these different areas, 
why do I have to pay to even get cleared to play college sports? Right. There's so many things that go unaccounted for that. You, like a lot of those things, we probably couldn't even know what they stand for unless we look detail to tail into each area you name. A lot of it just sounds like a bunch of garbage. I feel like they throw a name on things, so after a while you just stop looking at it like, oh, okay, you know what it is, honestly. And, you know, speaking here with Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. If you haven't become a member, you're listening. It's free and easy to do. MixLR.com backslash DT. Eric, what was your experience at the NCAA? What can you say you took away? Because as a player, each player has their own individual experience. You just brought up that you have to pay to get cleared. A lot of fans don't know that. They have no idea what you just said. So let's go a little bit deeper into your experience. Uh, I would just say it's, it's very uh, iffy experience because you see how you have to live as a college athlete, even though it sounds cliche, they say get a, a scholarship for your services as an athlete, but they didn't recruit me here to go to school. Let's just be honest. Like They say athletes should get paid, but it's nice I went to sleep almost hungry and trying to scrounge up $20 and you get tired of to call your pants or everything and a lot of athletes don't come from fortunate backgrounds which is unfortunate but it's the reality so if you don't have a, a parents or uncles and aunts that make a lot of money where you can keep calling and getting money or you know for your little daily finances I don't say you have to make a college student rich or an athlete rich but you just got to account for the small things just like your your daily things, your uh, deodorant, your lotion, your food, you know, just little things that they don't account for. And they use up all your time, so you can't go make another source of income to support yourself. A lot of people don't know that you can't have a job as a college athlete. So what, how do you hold support yourself? What, you have to go against the whole student body. Other students can work. Other students have a lot of time. When your whole day is booked up, how can you make income to support yourself besides the little things that you might get? You get some free meals and all that, which the food isn't the greatest a lot of times, but... I just think they give you a short end of the stick for your services, not to say, like, oh, just an athlete that just wanted to get some. I'm out of college, so it's not going to be benefit me now, but I would like to see the athletes get some type of conversation, especially when you can sell merchandise, their names on it, and people are coming to see athletes. Nobody comes to a game to see a coach, which coaches make a five or six million dollars. There's even some coordinators and assistant coaches making millions. Plus. Nobody comes to see them coach. How many people come to Syracuse basketball games and say, oh, I want to watch Jim Behan? I know they're coming to see the players. Let's who fill up the seat. So not to compensate them is I think it's ridiculous, especially when you make it so much money as an organization. Apparently, so called non profit. I remember I think it was like three or four years ago the NCAA tournament made a billion dollars by itself. One tournament made a billion dollars by itself. But where's the money going? Yeah, and I want to I want to go into something you said because I I had a good friend of mine on the show and a basketball analyst Dave Paziak yesterday. And I can see both ends of the spectrum, and, and that's why I think it's important to speak with, with him who's been a coach that was that, that doesn't get paid a lot of money. He did JUCO and he did Division III so in, ba- in basketball. So he can speak to this without being like, yeah, you know what, I'm a hypocrite. I'm making $4 million because that's not the case. So he spoke about it, and I understand this point. Like I had a 98%. I mean, I had my, my junior year in high school – my average was 98 out of 100, which whatever that ends up being in, in for a 4.0, a 3.9, whatever. So I look at what I got in scholarship money and book money and this, that, and the other. I'm still 11 years later play, paying student loans, and I was one of the best students at my high school, one of the best students at my university, and I graduated 
with a 382, and I graduated my major of communications with a 393. So uh, out of four, obviously. So, you know, I look at that and say, okay, I worked my butt off in the classroom. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't, I didn't get an education for free and I'm still paying on it, but I worked my butt off. So I get that end of the spectrum of going, you know, there are some athletes that just get by that could care less about school that just kind of phone it in and tuition's paid for and all of that's taken care of. And then I look at me saying, well, I have to pay these bills still 11 years later but then I go to the other side, your side, and say, well, your your college is paid for. And I agreed with Dave, you know, when you have all that paid for, that's, you know, tens of thousands of dollars you don't have to worry about. But that money's not going to you. It's not like they're saying you have a free education. Here's 10 grand, Eric. So, you know, you bring up the food side of it. So I have to ask you this, you know, the 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 sense of the stipend, you know, that, that you get money every month. You know, and, and, and now with autonomy and the Autonomous Five, the, the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10, and the ACC, you know, that, that there's more involved with that full cost of attendance and yada, yada. But, you know, bring me into the stipend and, and what it is. I mean, did you essentially, from Syracuse under under law and, and, and under this, you know, stipend rule, you know, did they every month at the beginning of the month say, you know, here's a check? For whatever amount, you could spend it on food, you could spend it on sneakers, you could spend it on whatever the hell you spend it on, but it's on you because some of your former teammates had said to me, yeah, you know, we get a stipend and, you know, we buy food and it's not much and sometimes it doesn't get us by, but they're like, you know, some of our teammates buy sneakers with it and they have no money for food. Uh, just speaking from my end, going to, especially at Syracuse, we didn't get that much because it was a, a private university, which a lot of people don't know. It differs by school. It's not a set amount for every school. Like, it's not saying, okay, this kid, we're going to give him $1,000 for meal plan check. We would get, like, one stipend to go with, like, uh, for the beginning of the semester, and that's it for when I was there. So it wasn't that much. It was, like, I think, like $500 for a meal plan check, and they give you a meal plan selection, whatever. So you could select it. Sometimes you would get more if you just got less meals from, like, the uh, – the dining halls and at the facility. So you really had a choice. It wasn't like a set amount they give you. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, they just giving out a certain stipend for each student. No, it goes by schools and everything. Like I've talked to people in the NFL that went to different schools. They said they had, they were more, you know, supported by their schools with their uh, meal plan checks and all that. But going to Syracuse as a private university, it wasn't that much compensation for our meal plan checks. A lot of people know that a lot of us, made it through our financial aid checks. A lot of us that wasn't from privileged backgrounds, that was really mostly got us through. And that's just because we come from, you know, a background that's not the most fortunate. But the meal plan checks weren't really that much, especially going to Syracuse. So I wouldn't say it was just a great conversation. It was good to have something, but I don't think it was adequate enough for you to make it through a whole semester. Yeah, and I and I I want to I want to go a little bit deeper into that. So they they give you that money, and like you said, it, it may not be that much because it's a private institution, and you know, and theirs is different from some of the other guys that you've spoken <clears throat> spoken with. Just you know what you could say about working as well, because you know there's that notion of you know you're doing a full time job as a student, a full time job as a football player, and in the off season there is no off season. And then there's kind of rules of like when you can work or, or this, that, and the other. Just what you can say ab- about that. How can you go out and make your own money? What were the rules at Syracuse? Because we hear all these things from the outside looking in and handbooks and, and whatnot. 
but you live the life. So bring me into it. Could you have a job? When could you have a job? How difficult was it to have a job and do everything else? Just bring me into the whole dynamic because, you know, Dave and I spoke on one side of, of what's going on. And I want to speak on the other side of what's going on because I want people to have all angles of this should collegiate athletes be paid, so to speak. Uh, the job situation was very terrible because I think a couple uh, players tried to get a job then and they basically forced them to quit. Like the coaching staff couldn't have a job. Mm-hmm. And then in the summer, if you wanted a job, they would take your meal plan. They would take portion of your meal plan check and you had to live off your job. So it was like a lose-lose situation. And then with all the time that they take up from you being an athlete, what time do you really have a job? Even in the summertime, we're up there just working out. Like I said, if you get a job, they're going to take away the uh, the meal check they give you during the summer. They're going to take a portion of that, whatever you're making over that. So it's not really benefiting you having a job. And then it hurts you in the long run, which a lot of people don't know, because when you're a regular college student, you go intern in the summer and work towards your profession, which is only a small portion of the athletes make it to the NBA or the NFL. So if you don't make it to the NFL, why wouldn't you get an opportunity to intern and work towards your profession when you're done with your playing career? So if you take all that time up, by the time you get into the uh, real world and experience, you have no work experience because all you did was play sports throughout the year and work out and train. So you have no work experience. So when it's time you get a look towards your career, your resume is basically blank unless you got volunteer work because you wasn't able to intern or work, work a job. That coming from Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman, giving you a little bit of a background and insider look. I should say a lot of bit of a background on what it's like to be an athlete, a student athlete in collegiate athletics. Now, we've discussed the fact that what's coming up with this NCAA probe is, you know, players getting paid, families getting paid to do this, do that, go to this school, go to that school. I want to run down, and you're probably going to laugh and want to throw up at the same time, Eric, and probably people listening in. These are the 2018 coaches' pays. I'm just going to read you the top ten. Are you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Duke, Mike Krzyzewski, a team that was named in the report. Total pay. $8.982 million, just about $9 million. Number two, Kentucky, John Calipari, also named in the the NCAA probe, $7.9 million. And there are bonuses that come after that. Number three, Ohio State. Let me see if Ohio State, I believe that they were named in here. Let me see. Oh, no, they weren't. Ohio State was not named in this, but let's read off Ohio State. Number three, Chris Holtman, $7.149 million before the bonus. Number four, Kansas, who is named in the NCAA FBI investigation, Bill Self, $4.9 million. Number five, Michigan State, Tom Izzo, who was named in the report, three or $4.35 million. Number six, Arizona, who was named in this report, Sean Miller, $4 million. Number seven, West Virginia, who is not named, Bob Huggins, I don't believe they were named here. I want to double check here. No, they were not. Okay. West Virginia, Bob Huggins, $3.76 million, not including the bonuses. Eight, Utah, Larry Kriskowiak, $3.39 million. They were named in the report. Number nine, Michigan, who is not named in the report. Their head coach, John Beeline, $3.37 million. But there's bonuses after that. Number 10, Indiana, 
who was not named in this report, Archie Miller, $3.2 million. So in the top 10 highest paid coaches yearly salaries, we have Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, Michigan State, Arizona, and Utah, which stands for six of the top 10 highest paid coaches are connected to six of the schools that were in the FBI probe. I don't know if anybody else has made that connection as of yet. What do you think about that, Eric? That six of the of the top ten highest paid coaches in collegiate basketball in Division One are connected to teams that allegedly broke NCAA policy. The rich get richer. They got to keep the program running. So you you want to keep your prestige and your namesake great. This is what you got to do. Like I said, I think it's been going on for years on. Probably 30, 40 years back, he's been paying things to get recruits and try to make that program elite. It's just crazy that the coaches are getting so much money and still getting all these violations. They have access to everything. Like, I remember seeing the thing on John Calipari when he got the private plane and all that to go recruit and all that. So, you got all the access to everything, not to mention the boosters, all the stuff coaches get. Some of these coaches even have shoe contracts, so, which is crazy, so. Like you said, on, on top of what their base salary is, they're making bonuses and they're still, you know, breaking the rules in some somewhat some fashion. But they're never really held accountable as a player would. And you know, what do you think about? I mean, ASM Sports was brought up, and this one, and I had said it on, I'd said it on the show earlier here that it kind of it hit home for me because not only do I know the ASM Sports agency, but I know Stephen Pena, and I've sat next to him at NBA Summer League, and I've had him on the show before. I just re-aired the interview that we had done with each other within the past few years. He represents Malachi Richardson and Rakeem Christmas, who both played for Syracuse, and he represents like eight other people that have been on the show. So all the people in ASM, well, I should say ASM represents, not necessarily him. I've interviewed a ton of the former college basketball players that are connected to ASM. I've interviewed Steven Pena, I've interviewed Malachi and, and of course, uh, Rakeem Christmas. So all these players that, you know, things that have been brought up and then players in connection and Syracuse hasn't been brought up in this, which fans are ecstatic and hoping that there's no like second wave of this, but it's kind of hit home for me. And in these reports, allegedly there was money moved around and they, and they paid players forward, so to speak, and said, Hey, we're going to give you 10 grand now. And when you get out of high school, when you get out of college, you'll sign with us. So take ten grand, play in college for a year, and then sign with our agency, and we'll take care of you. So we're going to give you some money right now. And then there's even signs in these reports and these documents that the people that didn't sign with them, that they went to recoup that money and get that money to, to come back and say, okay, you know, we gave you thirty grand, you didn't end up coming with us, so now you're on a payment plan to give it back to us. What are your thoughts on that? That there's this notion of a sports agency going, hey, if you promise me when you get out of college that you're going to be represented by us, we're going to give you tens of thousands of dollars right now, and you could go and take care of your family, do whatever you want to do, have some fun, and then if you don't end up signing with us, then we're going to come collect that money like a bookie. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It's crazy. The age of game is very ferocious. They try to attack you because, like I said, a lot of people don't come from the backgrounds where uh, their family is fortunate. Like, I was listening to Jalen Rose the other day, and he was saying, like, just because you are okay, don't just mean mom, brother, uncle, and 
know, dad is okay at home because you never know somebody's situation. But like they always say, you get things in writing, which is illegal for you to get a contract in writing. So how can you come back with something if you have nothing to write? It was never a verbal agreement. It's just me telling you something. I could be lying through my teeth if I give you a verbal agreement, but you get it on uh, paper, that's when it's real. And it's illegal for you to get it on paper. So I don't feel like how they can come back and try to recoup what they get. It's a lot of agents who give out things who never get the the player or, you know, the representation that they might want for a player. So they just lose out. Sometimes you got to take chances with, even though it's illegal, it's just like investing. Sometimes you may invest, it may work. Sometimes it may not. What do you what do you think about this whole notion? I mean, like, what can you say about your experience with agencies and trying to make it in the NFL and whatnot? I mean, did you did you see dirty out there? Did you have people lie to you and, and kind of swindle? Did you have people call you up and, and offer you opportunities? I mean, what can you say about the agent game from your perspective? Uh, when I was coming out, this was basically everybody was basically selling themselves, like telling me they could do for the guy that could help me. It wasn't really no conversation, we're going to do this, do this for you. He just was telling me what the possibility is if I come sign with them and do things like that and what's the opportunity they got, the connection they got, they can help me like working out, do things uh, just some of the clients they have, just basically selling yourself, you know, just you're trying to sell yourself to the player. And it was just a, a experience for me. Sometimes it's just weird because you have these weird numbers calling and a lot of times you wouldn't even see these people sometimes. You just get a number like I wonder how they got my number and just a domino. It's just crazy because he can keep calling you. Like, I don't want that to get my number, but you never know how these things go. But everybody just was trying to sell themselves and sell their agency and what they can do for them. That coming from Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman. Speaking on collegiate athletics, so that brings me into this point before we take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. You're listening on MixLR.com backslash Wake Up Call DT, and you can connect with the show by becoming a member very easily. So do that now. It's free to do. You'll be emailed when the show goes live, and all you got to do is click on your email, and you're listening every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. You're first to know about the special broadcast we have coming up. And you get to chat with us in the live chat room during the show. So make sure you become a member. It's free and it's easy. And if you're listening, you're doing a disservice to yourself by not becoming a member. So make sure that you do that so that you can get every single part of Wake Up Call right at your fingertips. Eric, it brings me to this point. Should players get played collegially? Because there's the amateur status. And I know that the NCAA feels like crooks. I know that... I've said this for years that they need to be investigated. And the FBI, if I'm the FBI and there's more than 20 institutions that were breaking these rules and that this is like a rampant epidemic, this isn't like somebody's got a cold and we quarantine them. This is like a lot of people are sick and they're all trying to get on different planes and I got to keep them from getting on those planes and getting other people sick. I'm investigating the NCAA. I'm asking them, how did they miss all this? Did they miss all this? Who were they protecting? Who are they not protecting? I'm, I'm investigating the NCAA, and I hope that the FBI is doing that because they'd be stupid not to. But even before all this, the NCAA is judge, jury, and executioner. I would like to see a check and balance that's watching the NCAA. So I'm going to ask you two questions. The first one is, does the NCAA need to be investigated, and should there be a ruling body that's always making sure the NCAA is playing by the rules while the NCAA is trying to make sure the schools are playing by the rules. Oh, definitely they should be investigated. They're investigating the schools. Why they can't invest, investigate the schools 
the uh, the big corporation that the schools are under, the NCAA. This is such a nonprofit organization. How they making all this money? And where's the money going? You, like you said, they got a lot of stuff allocated, but I think they make more money than that, honestly. And then the other side of it is we come to a part of do you pay college athletes? Now, there's the full cost of attendance, stipend, this, that, and the other, and whatnot. What is your thought on this? Because if you start paying athletes in college, there's a little bit of a danger zone to that, and then all of a sudden it's not collegiate athletics anymore, and it's not amateurism. At the same time, you said, you know, there's some, there's some times where I go to bed and I'm hungry and people don't understand that, you know, what you might get at Syracuse for a stipend is different than what you might get at UCLA, which is different from USC, which is different from Duke. I, I mean, just bring me into this because this is a very dicey situation. I don't want you to have to go without as a student athlete because I feel your plight and I, I can appreciate it at the same time outright handing a check for playing a sport is going to cause a huge rift and there's going to be people that are really really good students like I was in college going wow I'm paying for my education and they're not paying for their education and they're getting paid when you know I'm working a job or two jobs or like my friend Steve he worked three jobs and went to college so how do you answer this question because the moment you start paying college athletes there is a giant snowball that comes from that. Oh, I didn't. I stand firm and correct. I think you should pay them. I don't think you have to give them any outrageous amount of money. Just give them a set amount each semester. Okay. Or I'll just say like $1,500 each semester. That's $3,000 a year. You know, I don't think that's nothing crazy. Just fit. Now, if you do whatever you do, you can't ask them. Now, that's on you how you handle it because the guy you're dealing with young men and young women in college athletics, you know. So you should be able to learn how to handle your money anyway because you're going to have to learn how to handle it soon anyway. But I think you should get paid because the risk you're taking. What happens if you blow out your knee, your career is over, or you hurt your foot? And a lot of people don't know you have to renew your scholarship at the end of each year. So if you're not performing well, they can take your scholarship. And not injured or not, if, you, if they don't feel you at the part, they can take your scholarship. I've seen people get basically pushed out to transfer because they weren't performing well. But it's a lot of ins and outs that the general fan, the general public will not see. So I definitely think you should get paid because, like I said, they didn't bring you to this school to go to school. We just have to be honest with ourselves. They brought you athletic talent. They're not recruiting a guy six foot ten and say, "Oh, I want you to be a scientist. Come to Syracuse to be a scientist, or come to Duke to be a scientist." No, they want you to come play basketball. You know, so I think you definitely get paid, especially if they can sell things with your likeness on it. They can. You go in the bookstore and see somebody's number on the jersey. It might not have last name, but they can sell things with your likeness on to make money off of you. But you shouldn't be compensated. I just think it's a travesty. Well, you know, and and when you when you bring it up in the sense of you know you are risking your life, and it's not just the fact, like you said, you know, if you blow out your knee, it's not just that one thing of like, okay, you know, blew out the knee, and this is, and, and I got to try and make my way back, and this and that. I mean, this can affect you for the rest of your life. It affects how you walk. It can affect your health. I mean, there there are guys that play football that you know, are, are in situations that it, in their 40s have dementia, you know. So, I, I mean, and, and dementia, and, and dementia, Alzheimer's, one grandma had one for me, the other grandma had the other. My prayer is that everybody in this world never has to deal with personally or with a loved one dementia or Alzheimer's. 
even though God bless my grandmother, she had, my mom's mom had dementia and I swear like she repeated herself, but she was never violent, very, you know, slow to anger. And she, I mean, it's like if you ever get dementia and got it her way, God bless her because she was still herself all the way through it. And, and I knew my grandmother and she knew me. But, you know, when we look at these things, I mean, guys, 44 years old with dementia in a nursing home. So, I mean, the, the risk that you take, especially on the football side of things, the risk that you take is so great. And like you said, you have to renew your scholarship every single year and they can push you out. And we've seen this like, oh, you're medically disqualified. And then the player goes and plays at another college for three years. So, you know, it, it's it's a very there's so many layers to this. And the more that I color cover collegiate athletics and the more of you gentlemen and, and ladies out there that I get to speak with and know, the more you realize that things aren't as squeaky clean, aren't as nice, and the story that comes out like this person was medically disqualified could very well be BS. The story of, well, this guy didn't do that and didn't do this, that could be BS as well. So, you know, you have to kind of sift through it and know the players and know the situations and actually know what's going on and, and dig for the truth. You brought up a great point though. You know, we're risking our, we're risking our football career, but I'll take you one step further, Eric, you're risking your life. You know, you want to go to Disney world and walk around with your family and you're in a wheelchair because of your knee at 35 years old. That's not a good life. So, you know, I mean, that, that brings up a lot and you bring up a good point. Even for me, like at Syracuse, I had three surgeries before I turned 21 years old. So how do I, so I had 10 MRIs and, you know, so how do I supposed to feel like it? I don't think I should be compensated. And barring injuries, just think about the situation like uh, the Aiden kid from Arizona I was reading about. They were paying him $100,000, I guess, supposedly. But if they win the national championship, you don't think that national championship is going to bring way more money than $100,000 they shelled out to him and right. his family? Right. Like how much money they would make if they make a national championship. Ticket sales go up. Merchandise go up. You got more merchandise available to sell as champions and things like that. So it's kind of like a business investment. Like, do you think if okay, let's say the 2003 basketball mm-hmm. Syracuse team was getting paid just a stipend, but you don't think if they all get fifteen hundred dollars a semester, that national championship is way worth more than what they paid that team if they were getting paid to the university and the money the revenue generates. It's a fair point. You know, whatever whatever a school has to shell out, they're still making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. But, you know, I've asked that question in many, many uh, uh, situations and with schools is, where is the money going? Because they always claim poverty, but I see the ticket sales and I see what goes on. And so that makes me take a step back and say, okay, so you need the money, but do you need the money? If you hear somebody in the background making some noise that sounds like a baby, that's because it's Jada. She's on the line here with Eric Kroom and I and just turned eight months old a couple days ago. So shout out to Jada for doing what she does, and I appreciate her commentary throughout the broadcast. With that being said, we are at this point where Eric and I are shifting gears from college basketball to the NFL, and we're looking at the transactions that have happened here. We're going to have Papa Joe on and just a little bit, but I want to get to this and and see kind of what's been going on here. So interesting moves. Uh, Friday, February 23rd, Kellen Moore, who played for Boise State, has now been named the quarterback's coach of the Cowboys. He used to be the third stringer on the Cowboys. I thought that that was 
pretty interesting. Uh, Larry Pinkard, who played some time with Jacksonville, was claimed by the Cleveland Browns. Matt Forte of the Jets announced his retirement. And along with all of that, the release of running back Jonathan Stewart from the Carolina Panthers. So of all those stories, Eric, what, what kind of sticks out to you? And I would venture to say that, you know, we, we have to talk about the fact that Matt Forte and Jonathan Stewart, two starting running backs, are now no longer on the teams that they're on. Matt Forte is done with the NFL. Jonathan Stewart could be done with the NFL. Oh man, uh, it's a young man's league, honestly. So I feel like, like especially with like Stewart, it's kind of because I was with Carolina, so it's kind of like, you know, just a situation. Like oh, I look back on it, it's kind of crazy because I know the type of respect he commands in the locker room and what he means to that franchise and the players in the locker room. So it's kind of just crazy seeing him get, you know, released. But it's just a young man's game, especially as a running back. You know, when you turn thirty, they're basically trying to. Move on from your shelf life is very quick, especially if you touch the ball a lot during your career. So they're trying to get what they can get out of you, especially with all the good running backs that you can get in the later rounds of the draft and everything now. So they really try to move on from you once you start getting older, especially if your cap number has gotten high. It's all about money and production, honestly. Well, and if we look at this the last few weeks here, speaking on releases, if I just mention running backs that have been released, February 20th, Doug Martin brought that up that cleared almost seven million dollars in cap space for the bucks so doug martin former starter for the buccaneers who they had signed recently to a five-year extension gone so no more doug martin in tampa he gets released from the team and then i want to go to some of these other chris chris ivory of the jacksonville jaguars he was released on top of the release of jonathan stewart and then matt forte retiring just, I mean, when we look at running backs simply, three to five year span in the NFL is 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 their life expectancy in the NFL, so to speak. I mean, these guys have lasted longer than that. But I mean, we're looking at Matt Forte was a starter in Chicago and with the Jets. Jonathan Stewart was a starter in Carolina. Doug Martin just signed and signed his extension recently. He was a starter. And Chris Ivory was the starter before they got Leonard Fournette this past year. So, I mean, just what you could say about the running back position as a whole. I mean, these guys are, they're getting let, and they're not like they're letting go second string, third string, two-headed running back, and it didn't work out. These guys are all, all four of them, former starters on their teams. Like I said, it's a young man's league, and you can find production later on in the rounds of free agency, especially when you got guys doing specialties as running backs. Like, you might have a receiving back, third down back, a power back. So, versatility, man, in the NFL, it's all about having multiple backs. Back, back, later, uh, back. In the NFL, you had your workhorse and maybe a spell back. Now, it's basically, you got to have two running backs to be able to run your offense smoothly and have versatility with your offense. A lot of times, you have a guy who's going to catch the ball out the backfield, catch the screens, and be that change of pace back, and you might have a power back or just every down back. So having multiple backs has changed the lead tremendously of not just having that one workhorse guy that you just get a ball 25 to 30 times to, which those guys are very rare in their field. The guys are getting 25 and 30 carries now because you have that other back to offset what you want to do as offense. 
So it's easier for these teams to let go of these veteran guys and these starters because they know they have another back ready and they can get it back in the third or fourth round. They can produce as well. So you have two guys that can produce and maybe even have a third, a third running back like a lot of teams do to change the pace. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, as we look at the NFL and, and kind of things that are going on, we look at these, you know, the running back situation, and really no teams have that one running back anymore that they just lean on, and that's and that's the guy, and that's the end-all, be-all. You know, we had seen that with Adrian Peterson recently when he was with Minnesota and whatnot, but the Dallas Cowboys, okay, they have Ezekiel Elliott, so they're typically, we could call them a one running back situation. The Giants have no idea who the running back is. Philadelphia has three. Washington has multiple, at least two. Chicago's got to figure out what they're going to do, but they have at least two with, with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. And I say they have to figure it out because these guys did some really good things and then fell off during the season. We look at the Detroit Lions, who got to figure it out. The Green Bay Packers, who have to figure it out. The Minnesota Vikings, who you know are sharing time with Delvin Cook and Latavius Murray. Delvin comes back healthy, kind of figure that out. So we look at that. Atlanta has Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. Carolina has Cam Newton, and let's face it, he's their runner. The Saints have two guys out there. And, you know, I mean, the Saints are leaning on Elvin Kamara, who came on as a rookie this past season, and also Mark Ingram. Tampa Bay has got to figure it out. I like Jacquez Rogers, though. Arizona has David Johnson, so we can say Arizona has one. So, so far, that's two teams out of thir- out of 32. The Los Angeles Rams with Gurley, so we could say three teams. The Niners have Carlos Hyde, but for how long will they have him? And they are got to look to the future a little bit. Seattle has no idea what they're doing. Buffalo has LaShawn McCoy, so we could say four. Miami doesn't know what they're doing. They let go of Jay Ajayi, their best player. New England is committee. The Jets got to figure it out. Baltimore's got to figure it out. Since he's got three and none of them are getting it done, Cleveland's got to figure it out. Pittsburgh has Le'Veon Bell for now, so we can say... Dallas, Arizona, San, uh, Los Angeles Rams, and then we could say Buffalo and Pittsburgh. So that's five. And then the Houston Texans got to figure it out. Colts got to figure it out. Jaguars, we could say Leonard Fournette, but they do use TJ Yeldon as a change of pace. So I'm not going to add them as one. Tennessee has multiple. Denver's got to figure it out. Kansas City, you can say Kareem Hunt, but they use different schemes with Tyreek Hill. So let's just put them in, say, six. The Chargers, Melvin Gordon, for the most part, we can say seven, and the Raiders got to figure it out. So of 32 teams in the NFL, seven of them, I can say, are a one-running-back system. What do you think about that? That's crazy. That's why I'm saying how football has converted so much from being just that one workhorse running back. And maybe just a second, so many people use it by committee, especially with this being such a pass league. You need that guy who can catch and do different things out the backfield. So you need a lot of versatility at the running back, just as you would do with the slot receiver, because you need to be able to have a lot of open schemes in your offense. So having the guy who can catch and be uh, make a man miss and everything out the backfield with that uh, every down back is key now because you can change it up. With like, just see how much Kamara helped the Saints out this year, being the offset of uh, Mark Ingram. Being able to catch the ball out the backfield, line up in the slot, line out. I don't even see how to line out wide. So you're offering so many options just with this guy on the field because you know when he's on the field, it's probably just not a run play. You could pass and do different things and use multiple multiple ways. So, which has changed the game very tremendously of being having guys being so versatile and even saving guys for an extra one or two years because they haven't had 
300 and 400 carries just as the every down back. And before we get all set with Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL player right here on the defensive line, I want to get into one of the players that you brought up specifically when we were talking before getting ready for the show today, and that is Marcus Peters, a cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs let go of their quarterback and let go of their one of their cornerbacks, and he was traded to Los Angeles to the Rams with a 2018 sixth-round pick for 2019 second-round pick and a 2018 fourth-round pick. So Marcus Peters heads to L.A. with Kansas City's sixth-round pick this year, and then Kansas City gives up a second-round pick in 2019 and a fourth-round pick in this year's draft. What do you think about the trade? What Did it surprise you? I mean, what's in your mind, I mean, Kansas City – Look like a they look like they could be a Super Bowl team in the first couple of weeks. They beat the Patriots in Foxborough to start the season, and then they just completely fell off the wagon. They said, "All right, Alex Smith, you're gone. Pat Mahomes, it's your time. You were a rookie last year, but now you got to start. Now you got to make it happen in your red shirt freshman season, so to speak, in the NFL." And then Marcus Peters, we had a great day. Hope you have fun in LA. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, Kansas City is is letting go of some some of their prominent more prominent players what did you think about this trade and, and did it surprise you uh, i think la won the trade you can get a number one corner for those type of draft picks because there's not you're going to find a starting number one cornerback in the league for a second round draft pick because that guy he's had the most interceptions since he came in the league he makes plays if you can get the well i think one you have like eight interceptions you can get the offense eight more possessions off one player that's the way you win games, the turnover battle, especially pairing him up with elite pass rushers like Aaron Donald and some of the guys they got on that defense with a lot of athletic guys with the Rams. They just upgraded their defense tremendously and helped the chances out, especially with the offense they got going. They had no more offense in the league from upgrading. The, uh, they had Jerry Goff and Todd Gurley. Now you put a number one corner back there with the uh, best interior uh, defense around in the league. You got a great combination of having a defense set because you can get to the pass and shed a receiver down. That's how you build your defense now. You have a premier pass rusher and a premier cornerback. So I think the L.A. got tremendously better. I, I, I don't know where Kansas City is going with this because now you have to replace a cornerback. I think that's, they got uh, fuller from with the Alex Smith trade, but Marcus Peters is a premier cornerback in this league, so you just don't replace that easily. That coming from Eric Kroom, and Eric Kroom spending some time today with me speaking on college basketball, what's going on, what needs to change in collegiate athletics and the NFL. Eric, I could talk to you for another seven hours, so let's save some for a future future broadcast, and I appreciate it as always, and I thank you for being a part of the show, and Jada, I thank you too for being a part of the show, and I look forward to talking with you soon, man. Thank you for having us. <laughs> All right, take care. Have a good day. You too. That coming from Eric Kroom once again. Eric Kroom, former Syracuse and NFL defensive lineman, joining me here on the broadcast and discussing what's going on with collegiate athletics, with the NFL, and with college basketball, and what his life was like as a college athlete and what he took away from dealing with the NCAA. 